Your Steve Jones Show podcast will start shortly. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Brewers Outlet, your beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Hey there, how are you? Friday edition of the Steve Jones Show as we head for the weekend. Thanks for stopping by. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sean here, and Steve's back on Monday following vacation. Be back with you in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza. Sunbury and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Friday edition of the Steve Jones Show, always brought to you by Brewers Outlet, the beverage supermarket, Reagan Street in Sunbury. Specials happening through Tuesday. Michelob Ultra 30-pack cans, $22.97, and Moosehead 12-pack cans, only $9.95. Your favorite beers, your IPAs, all lined up there. Check out the fresh supply on hand, and also snacks, fresh roasted peanuts, and the pickle bar. Need a couple of bags of ice right there at the register, too. Grab a couple of dollies, get some cases, and get ready to celebrate this weekend. All from Brewers Outlet, the beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. Lots of ways to get in contact with us. Our email is stevejones at wkok.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Twitter handle at stevejonespsu. Also, you can listen to our shows anytime, anywhere when you subscribe to our Steve Jones Show podcast. Available on both the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, and Google Play. Simply search Steve Jones Show. Shows drop right to your smartphone and tablet after they air live on WKOK weekday afternoons. And also, you have access to go back in time, access three months of shows. They're always posted for you on the part, on the uh, podcast archive page at stevejonesshow.com. All right, so we're with you live till 5. Have some more great replays to share with you. Then we'll have our late-day news roundup at 5.06 with Sarah Benick. And the Phillies back in play tonight following the All-Star break, opening up a three-game weekend set with the San Diego Padres. Uh, 6.30 will be airtime for On Deck. First pitch at 7.05 with Scott Fransky, Larry Anderson, and Jim Jackson on WKOK. Unfortunately, fans won't get to see Manny Machado tonight. But yes, the Phillies will crank up the second half of their season. Jake Arrieta will be squaring off against Clayton Richard tonight. Philly rumored to be close to acquiring Manny Machado earlier this week from Baltimore. However, the superstar shortstop ended up being dealt to the Los Angeles Dodgers, leaving the Phillies to look elsewhere for a lineup upgrade before the July 31st trade deadline. Unlike the... Phillies, the Padres, will be sellers at the deadline. They started the selling-off process yesterday by trading all-star closer Brad Hand and right-handed reliever Adam Clymer to the Cleveland Indians in exchange for promising catching prospect Francisco Mejia. Hand had 24 saves, 3.05 ERA, and a 13.2 strikeout to, uh, to 9 rate with 41 appearances for the Padres last season. Friday's game, the first home game for the Phillies since they beat Baltimore back on the 4th of July. They enter our weekend set here tonight with a half a game lead over the Braves in the division. They've won 30 of its 46 home games 
in the first half. Padres shortstop Freddie Galvis will make a homecoming of sorts, coming back to Philadelphia for the first time since he was traded to San Diego in the offseason. Tomorrow night will be another 7.05 contest with a 6.30 on-deck airtime at WKOK, and then you got the recap of the uh, wrap-up of the three-game series on Sunday afternoon on deck at 1, and then first pitch at one thirty-five, and then the Dodgers come to town. Yes, Manny Machado and Chase Utley will be in town to start a three-game set Monday night, and of course all the games live here on 1070 AM. So for our best of today, coming up later on in the hour, Mark Wogenrich, the terrific Penn State beat writer from the Allentown Morgan Morning Call, uh, will get Mark's recap of the Penn State blue-white game from April. And also, uh, we will get his take on uh, what Mark did uh, close to two months ago. He uh, had a wonderful write-up in the Allentown Morning Call about Matt Millen, the Penn State legend from the 70s, of course now a football analyst on BTN. Uh, currently, Matt Millen undergoing the fight of his life. If you did not hear about uh, Millen's uh, health issues, we'll replay that interview with Mark coming up at 3.35. Next hour, one of the greatest ever to put on a singlet at Penn State in the wrestling program, David Taylor, the magic man. He had a chance to speak with the voice of Penn State Wrestling, Ironhead Jeff Byers, about a month or so ago. We'll have that at 4.06. And then we'll wrap up our best of week with the CEO of Spotlight Ticket Management, invitemanager.com. Steve's conversation with Tony Knopp at 435. All right, so let's get things rolling here on our Friday Best of Edition. He's always been a great interview here on the show. Uh, Now the former executive director of the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And uh, before he wrapped up his duties with the Senior Bowl, Steve had a chance to speak with also the uh, former radio network analyst for the Alabama Crimson Tide. He is Phil Savage. Well, thanks, Steve. I hope you're doing well. And, uh, man, we're in that uh, in-between zone, spring practice and uh, summer camp. Yeah, we sure are. I want to ask you, this is uh, – we've just gone through a draft where, of course, underclassmen, and there were 40 of them that did not get picked, and then there were some that got picked in rounds four through seven. Does the Does the NFL – or an all-star game need to start considering the possibility of an underclassman combine day in January to help people make decisions? Yeah, Steve, uh, I actually posted a blog on my website uh, right after the draft, and I termed it uh, the lost round at at philsavagefootball.com and just talked about those 106 juniors that declared 70 of which were drafted. However, only 41 of those were drafted in the first three rounds. So really those are the guys that have the best chance of actually putting an NFL career together. Not to say that a late-round pick or free agent can't make it, but it is an uphill climb. And I think that you know the, the overall education, the overall communication has to start much earlier. I think it has to start from the day – a player shows up at an Alabama or a Penn State or a Florida State because the truth of the matter is is that this is not good for college football and it's not good for professional football either because when you know 36 juniors go un- undrafted, uh, they're likely going to be on the street by this time next year with no place to go. And without a degree in hand, it's just very problematic in a lot of different directions. Uh, people will point out, well, you know, the rookie salary cap, the rookie salary pool uh, doesn't allow these guys to make as much money. They need to get to that second contract. Well, 
you better make make the team to get that first contract before you start thinking about a second contract. And uh, that's the, the piece of the puzzle that's never referenced for all these guys that, that come out early and end up not making. Well, I think, Phil, there's a bottom line. I mean, you've been around for a while. I've been around for a while. You and I, you and I, I think, both know that if you're a top three-round pick, you almost have to play your way out of the league. If you're a four through seven or a free agent, you really have to play your way into the league to get those second contracts. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a, that's definitely a dividing line, so to speak. I mean, most organizations, just politically, are not going to admit a mistake that they made in the first three rounds, at least for a couple of years. Now, we saw Christian Hackenberg, you know, taken by the Jets a couple of years ago, and now they've traded him off uh, to the Oakland Raiders. But that's, you know, a rare a rare circumstance that, that happens like that. But, you know, to go back to your original question, is there a way to broker a situation where sort of the, the juniors that were considering or are considering coming out, is there a way to get in front of them and for them to get in front of the league people? Either, you know, maybe right now at the end of May, early June, prior to their junior year, or perhaps could it be in January uh, before the declaration date so that they could get the accurate information, not, not word off the street, not word from somebody that's trying to pad their own pocket, but from the people in the NFL to say, look, you know what, you should come out. You're going to, you're going to be a, a first-round selection. Or, you know, right now you're probably at least a late, day, a late option for a team or two, perhaps even an undrafted free agent. Here are the three things that you need to work on and, and get, get back to your college team and play. And the other piece of the puzzle and, look, it's complicated because of the calendar, but we see college basketball players declare for the draft, check and see where they're really going to go by going to the combine, and then ultimately, if they're not rated high enough, they have the opportunity to come back and go to school. It's difficult to try to figure that out as it pertains to college football, but I do think that there should be an effort uh, in trying to accomplish something very similar uh, in football. Uh, yeah, the calendar part's the critical part, and I know you were you had been, of course, with the with the uh, before this with the Reese's Senior Bowl. That's in that's in late January. That's still before the late signing period. Uh, is that the kind of timing that we need to see for a potential underclassman combine so they can get better info? Well, I think that uh, I've advocated sort of a junior showcase. Uh, for probably at least a year now in terms of allowing the league to get verified heights and weights, not necessarily a 40 time, but heights and weights and have a chance to interview these players and just really cut to the chase and say, hey, this is where we think we have you rated. Uh, This is what we think of you as a player. Here are some areas that you need to improve upon. Uh, These are the reasons why we think you shouldn't come out versus the reasons that you know, you maybe think you should come out. And uh, the, the the declaration date has typically been in the middle of January, which has been like the week before uh, the festivities, say, at the Reese's Senior Bowl. Uh, maybe that date needs to be pushed a little bit later. Maybe there is a way to manipulate the calendar to make it more favorable for someone to, you know, really make a decision and go. Because as you know, say when Penn State goes to a bowl game, 
I mean, the agents are all over that hotel. Oh, yeah. Uh, as they're trying to, to, to talk to players and secure their services as soon as that game ends. And uh, if the if and the reason part of the reason for that is because of the declaration date in the middle of January, maybe there's a way that it could be later. Uh, maybe that that grace period window instead of it being 72 hours could be you know extended longer. Uh, but I do think that there's some things that the powers to be at both the professional and the college levels could do together uh, to make it a, a more. Uh, just a, a better circumstance for everybody involved. James Franklin's done a great job of getting as much information to his players as possible. So, so far, whenever a Penn State player has declared, it's either been a first or a second round pick. So now I, want to, I want to go now to one that you would be really familiar with, Alabama. I don't recall anybody making what I would call a, quote, mistake leaving Alabama early, that whenever they've gone, they've gone and <laughs> they've been picked in a good spot. What is it about what Nick Saban does, to give us an example, and maybe his connections that maybe allows for better decisions to be made by players? Well, they definitely spend time in doing research and trying to get the best uh, ranking available to, in terms of trying to – the best evaluation available to, to then sit down and talk to their players. Typically, it's after the Iron Bowl or perhaps the SEC championship game if they're in that. And they say, hey, here, here's the situation. One of the keys – for not only Alabama, but for any of these schools, and Penn State would be included, is if you can get one or two or three or four seniors to come back and play one more year and their draft stock actually elevate, as it did in the case of Mark Barron was a safety at Alabama. Oh, I remember. A linebacker yep. for the Rams. But uh, he thought about coming out. He had a shoulder surgery and he was being told he was going to be a second or third round pick. He came back, he ended up going seventh overall. So there was a huge difference in money for him. And he, to me, was one of the key players, you know, six, seven years ago that then made it more inviting for a, for a, his, the guys coming up behind him to stay in school and play one more year. The other thing where education can help is all the different insurance packages that can be paid for by the school so that a player doesn't, you know, he's not at risk in terms of losing money if he does go back to school and get hurt. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of different levels of insurances that are out there, and uh, they've gotten very creative in that to bridge the gap uh, for these kids. But I'm not sure that everybody understands and knows how all that works. So that's a piece of it. Uh, but interestingly enough, and, and I'll stop here in just a second, but LSU has lost 32 juniors uh, in the last five years or so, and they haven't Alabama, all been—they haven't all been drafted either. Oh my gosh, no! And as a contrast, the next highest is Florida State at 24, and then Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State are tied at 20 over this same time frame. And so, one of the problems at LSU is that there's been a little bit of a culture buy their prospects to come in as a mid-year enrollee and say, you know what, I'm punching the clock and I'm out of here in three years no matter what. And this past draft, they had several guys that were not drafted at all that if they go back for their final year, 
they clearly would have been at least in the fourth or fifth round and had a better chance to make it than they do right now. And may have walked out with a degree. And if and if not a degree, at least close enough yep. that they only need one off season to go back and get it. Exactly. Uh, now here now here's the tricky one. The Rice Commission for College Basketball, one of the recommendations happen to be if you are not drafted obviously coaches are setting rosters uh not everybody's at 85 that's why you see walk-ons getting scholarships and so forth later on to get to 85 phil is that something college uh football could think about where if you're not drafted and you're an underclassman you can go back to school i tell you i i'd love to see something happen down that particular path it you know could it be done through a roster exemption you know in other words where yeah. uh, there's a, a two or three scholarships available for a player that that you know declares doesn't get drafted and wants to come back uh, that would be a thought um, you know a, another another idea uh, in that regard, in, or at least tied to it, Steve, as, as you know. Look, if Saquon Barkley had come back to play one more year at Penn State, how much practice time would he have really gotten during spring ball? Right. <laughs> Very right. little. And so the idea that, you know, well, these guys miss spring and it puts them behind all that. I mean, if the guy's already an established starter, I can't imagine that if he all of a sudden showed back up May 1st as an undrafted player and back on his college team, that that college coach wouldn't figure out a way to utilize him the next year. So, you know, I think it's a little bit overblown that they, you know, they miss too much time. Uh, it does make it, it, again, it's not as clean calendar-wise as it is for basketball. That's right. But I do think that there should be some sort of option. Look, for those 36 players that didn't get drafted, they should be somewhere in college football. Maybe it's not with the original school. Maybe they have to go back and play FCS-level football or something of that uh, nature. But they should be somewhere playing this fall wearing a college uniform, in my estimation. Obviously, you've done a lot of work with college football, and obviously you've done a lot of work with the NFL. Uh, we know that you know in college – so many coaches, a James Franklin and Nick Saban, athletic directors, really do care. I mean, they care very much. So here's here's the other part. How much does the NFL care about this part of it? I think the nuts and bolts of the NFL rank and file people, the scouts that are going into the schools, uh, the, the people that are really engaged in the game, the coaches that are working with these guys that are nowhere close to being ready in terms of the resume. Think about this, Steve. I mean, 20 years ago, you could have two days during high school football. You could have, you know, 15, 20 practices in spring practice during college, then two days during the fall camp. The amount of repetitions and training that a player got in those days as compared to what he actually gets now coming into the NFL is night and day. Right. And so a lot of these kids just simply are not ready for the NFL. And so with that being said, I think that the scouts and the coaches in the NFL uh, absolutely are very concerned about it. In terms of 
the amount of money and ownership and television and all of the big things that really drive professional football, I'm not sure that they really care. Uh, I think they care in words, but maybe not necessarily in deeds or action. Because, look, this has been something. The most juniors that had ever come out was 56 prior to 20, prior to 2012. Right. Now the last three years, 297 juniors have declared for the draft. That's 99 a year. It's a trend that's not going to go the other way unless somebody steps in and tries to do something about it. When they get my final question to you, Phil, and then I'll let you go. Thanks so much for the time. This has been fascinating. Uh, is that there, there, of course, is the group that gives you your draft grade, first round, second round, or go back to school. Those are the three options. You and I both know, look, they have a lot of pride. They want to be right. I mean, they don't want to you know, sit there and, and just be haphazard and be wrong. Their reputations are on the line. Uh, I know kids get stubborn about certain things, but why, why in your gauge – in talking to them, why are some of them so stubborn about who they are and don't believe the part about go back to school? I think part of it uh, is just the fact that typically these kids have been the best players on their team in, in you know elementary school, youth football, through middle school, high school, and now you know they've been one of the better players on their college team, and now all of a sudden they're told, "Hey, you need to go back to school." When everybody in their town a lot of people at their college have said, oh, man, he's a surefire first-rounder, when, in fact, that may not be the reality at all. So I think there's probably a pride factor in it. And, you know, just it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dose of reality when you've been one of the best people on your team your whole life and all of a sudden you're saying, well, you're not actually a first-rounder. Right. That's a tough pill to swallow. So, you know, again, I, I think just the, the education of – of parents and people connected to these kids is something that's really lacking. I mean, I can tell you from my experience uh, down here at the Reese's Senior Bowl through the years, I was stunned often on the Friday and Saturday of our game week where I would visit with parents and families, and they would actually say to me and our me and my staff, wow, this has been such an education for us <laughs> in terms of the media, the money, and the uh, community service that's yeah. going to be required in terms of our, our young uh, son or nephew trying to handle these things, we've never really thought of it in those regards. And so I, I know that, 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 that that's an avenue out there uh, that, that needs to be expanded so that more people truly have a, a, a real grip on how all of this works. Phil, how can people follow you and stay in touch with you? Well, of course, uh, my website is philsavagefootball.com. My Twitter page, Twitter handle has been Senior Bowl Phil, but that will be changing, of course, after uh, I uh, departed a few weeks ago after six years. But you can find me at Phil Savage. It will be my new handle. It should be up here in the next few days. And, uh, you know, continuing to do Bama football and, Sirius XM Radio. I've got a new opportunity on the horizon that has not been revealed publicly yet. So I'm excited about the future and staying connected to really both all levels of the sport. I love the game, uh, and and I want to see it grow and prosper, and so that people can benefit it like I have personally over the years. Well, very few are better at it. Thanks so much, Phil. It's always great. I'll pass along my best to Jack for you, and uh, we will talk soon, I hope. And best of luck with the new venture. No one deserves it more.
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Steve. I always enjoy the time. Thank you. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Party time, game time, or just fun time. Doesn't matter what time it is, because it's Brewers Outlet time. The Beverage Supermarket has the area's largest beer selection. Imports, microbrews, ciders, and domestics. Pick from over 100 ice-cold 12-packs and dozens of 24-ounce singles. Soda, snacks, hot sauces, fresh roasted peanuts. Make it one-stop party shopping, and don't forget the pickle bar. So whatever you're celebrating or just doing it up, Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street, Sunbury, wants to see you. And thank you for your years of patronage taking your calls at 800-795-9565 this is the steve jones show on news radio 1070 wkok now from the sunbury motor studio here's steve jones sunbury motors ford lincoln hyundai north 4th street auto plaza sunbury and sunbury motors key up on the strip routes 11 and 15 in hummel's wharf steve will be back on monday sean carey here wrapping up the best of week and today brought to you by Brewers Outlet, the beverage supermarket, Reagan Street in Sunbury. Beer specials now through Tuesday. Michelob Ultra 30-pack cans, $22.97, and Moosehead 12-pack cans, $9.95. Stock up on your favorite brews, sodas, ice, snacks, chips, pretzels, pickle bar, press roasted peanuts, and so much more. Got it all for you at Brewers Outlet, your first and last stop at the beverage supermarket on Reagan Street in Sunbury. And today is July the 20th, this day in sports history. 1937, Don Budge of Oakland, California, staged one of the most remarkable comebacks in tennis history, defeating Baron Gottfried von Kram of Germany, 8-6 to six in the final set of the Davis Cup semifinals at Wimbledon, and it enabled the United States to beat England the next week in the finals. Budge was down two sets to love and 4-1, before winning in the final set on the sixth match point. 1924, Johnny Weissmuller of Chicago won the gold medal in the 100-meter freestyle at the Paris Olympics. 59 seconds set a new Olympic record, but falling well short of the world mark of 57.4 earlier that year. It was a United States medal sweep in the 100-meter freestyle at the Olympics. And golf today, this day, 1979, the swashbuckler from Spain, 22-year-old Seve Ballesteros. A story from the New York Times said he had the face of an alder boy and the style of a blade-swinging corsair. Came from, uh, from two strokes behind to win the 108th British Open by three shots after he sunk a par putt of three feet on the 18th green. Two of his brothers, Vicente 
and Baldomero rushed out and surrounded him in an emotional embrace. Eyes filled with tears. Man nicknamed Sevy already welling up in tears as he strode up the 18th fairway. And the tournament was wide open with anyone's grasp at that point. One by one, the other contenders gave up their shots while Ballesteros keep, he kept parring his way through the final nine. And they were at Royal Litham in the St. Anne's Golf Club. He shot 71 under. Coast on the Irish, uh, located on the the course was located on the coast of the Irish Sea, and had a one under seventy two hole total of two eighty three. Ballesteros, one of many players who posted big numbers, a lot of rain, wind, and cold going on at that British Open. There and actually, there's been some wind and rain today at Carnoustie, and we'll check those numbers out later. We'll go back in time to an uh, interview that Steve conducted back in mid-May with the terrific Penn State football writer from the Allentown Morning Call, Mark Wogenrich. Doing well, Steve. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, outstanding uh, work on on the Matt Millen story. What was? Thank you. Uh, no, really, it was outstanding. Um, <laughs> For you, what was the approach you wanted to take? Because obviously you had a base of knowledge to work with. So what was your approach in talking with Matt, who is usually pretty blunt about life? Yeah, she's incredibly blunt about life. And I think that was a little bit part of it. Um, It was more how he's approaching this. It's not the fact. I didn't really want to approach the fact that that he has this rare disease. Um, It's more how he's approaching it. and, And the the way the, the way he's facing it you know through him and his family I got to know him I, you know I've got to know him a lot of years around this area not just in football but in wrestling he's a huge part of the wrestling community here in downtown Lehigh Valley that District Eleven wrestling um, one of his sons wrestled he's mm-hmm. very close with a bunch of wrestling coaches he goes you know he hosts um, a, a weekly Bible study that several high school and college wrestling coaches attend and. So, you know, having covered, like, high school wrestling, too, I, I would see him at big matches often. He loves it. He loves Penn State wrestling. You know, Kale Sanderson, you know, he couldn't – he can't speak highly enough about Kale. So, you know, within those communities, he's very well-known, and he's revered, and he does a lot of things for people in those communities that a lot of people don't know about. And in specific, like I said – being um, being a very devout person, being a Christian and, uh, and hosting the Bible study, these are people who got to know him really well, and, and they would just tell me that he's he's going, you know, fighting this, going through this disease with kind of just an uncommon level of, of positivity. And his wife said the same thing, too, that that stems in part from, you know, his faith, but also in how he approaches life and how he's uh, approached football, too. So it was more than that. It was more than just, okay, you know, Matt is finally ready to, to say something publicly about it because it wasn't. It's not that this was uh, not well known. I mean, a lot of people knew that he was going through the chemotherapy and that he was, you mm-hmm. know, facing his disease, but he hadn't gone public with it. I think part of it is like to say, "Look, I'm not." Um, you know, just to tell people that, "Look, I'm not at uh, at at the end here just yet," but also to bring to some 
uh, awareness to a, a very rare disease, kind of the one, you know, something similar to what uh, like uh, the uplifting athletes would, you know, the awareness they would bring to those diseases too through Live for Life and things like that. Yeah, I know. Uh, w- when Jack and I saw him at in at Maryland, and I br- I breakfast mm-hmm. with Matt the next day, but when we saw him on that Friday night, he looked ashen. I'm like, holy yeah. mackerel! I mean, and, and Dan Deardorff had told Jack and me about where he was, so we we were forewarned. Mm-hmm. Uh, what struck me is when I talked to Matt at the Blue White game. He told me he said he said you know he says one thing that's helped me out is that athletes know their bodies. He said and that's what's helped me out in terms of figuring out like something wasn't quite right. Is that the impression you got from him too? Oh, definitely. I think the first time that he had mentioned it was at the Maryland game to me too because he was coming out of the booth and kind of yeah. walking gingerly, and I said. Uh, Oh, you know, to me, I was like, oh, the hip bothering you, something like that, you know, a lower body thing, whatever. And then she said, no, I'm going through chemotherapy. And it was, you know, that particular week had taken a bit of a toll out of him. Yeah. But as he was going through and seeing doctors and some, it just seems like some of the um, interactions he had with medical people where they would say, wow, your numbers here, you know, things like the the testing they had done about, specifically regarding like heart function and heart mm-hmm. function level and he would say these doctors would tell me you really should be in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and he would say and he would say like you know well my 30% heart function is going to be better than your 30% heart function <laughs> that's a measure of his you know I think for one his ego he does have a little <laughs> bit of that too but two also he does really believe that he really believes that his you know having been an athlete and having known how to take care of his body as an athlete that he, even with its you know diminished capacity, um, now that he still knows you know how physical he can be and how uh, what kind of um, you know when he's feeling bad and when he's feeling good and what he can do. So I think he really does know that maybe better than just kind of us civilians and us laymen. Right. Yeah. No. Exactly. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. say this though: he has not lost his sense of humor because when I was talking to him at the Blue White game, he made a couple of jokes to me about oh gosh, yeah. about his condition, <laughs> and that's the part that you know that that when you walk away, you feel awful about it, but you like you still laugh because Matt made you laugh. Yeah. Oh, there. And I, you know. I could write the other half of the underside of that story is all the mat off the record. Yeah, okay. Let me put exactly. this way. A couple of the jokes he told me were absolutely off the record, okay? Oh, yeah. And I could write that, too. That would give kind of a sense of how he, you know, how he approaches that, at least within his sense of humor. Um, and Blake said the same thing, too. That's just his positivity and his outlook. And you know, family tells him the same thing. But, you know, I went to... Yeah, I actually went to his house the one night for a Bible study um, with the guys he hangs out with, and it was off color. You know, <laughs> I mean, they they did the devout, right. you know, thirty to forty five minutes an hour hey. where they really kind of broke down this, you know, a section of the Bible, you know, a verse of the Bible. They really discussed it, studied it, and applied it to current life. And they went back and told <laughs> some wrestling stories and off color jokes that. Um, yeah, you know, we're a little, you know, a little bluer than maybe the Bible passage would have required. But I think all of that, all of that helps him. Um, I think manage. Yeah, it helps. It helps him cope. Mm-hmm. Those not, yeah. and really, mm-hmm. it's Matt's own version of the Bible study. So, I mean, it's <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which well, I, I will say, I say he, in, yeah, a, in a fun, affectionate way. The, 
absolutely. But he does really know. He studies the Bible. Yes, he does. Um, he knows it very well, and he's he's quite um, introspective about it. And it it comes from it comes from not just a you know a place of study and not just belief. I was saying like it's not just faith, but he studies his faith too. He puts a lot of time and effort into that. And I think and and his you know his wife is a counselor and in, in, in that regard too. So they also come at this from a perspective of. Yes, we're fighting it, and we're going to every you know through every medical um, avenue available to us. He's been to the Mayo Clinic, um, yes, two Mayo Clinics, I believe. Sloan Kettering, he's gone. You know, he's going to go. You know, he's went to Cedar Sinai. He's been there. Yep. So it's not like you know he's seeing the best you know doctors he possibly can, but he, but he also has this, um, and it, it comes from his Bible study and his faith that there's. Um, and his wife said it. You know, he's really not afraid of where this may lead ultimately if if uh, if it progresses. And for those who may not realize, mm-hmm. Matt, Matt's mm-hmm. wife is the former Pat Spizak, who was a gymnast mm-hmm. here at uh, at Penn State. Right. right. The same day, went to school together. Um, all right. Uh, Matt would say, "Enough of me." Talked about the football Absolutely. team. That's exactly what Matt said. <laughs> Enough of me. We talk about the football team, Steve. Jeez. Uh, what do you think coming out of the spring? What's this general impression you have about this team? I thought they looked and they sounded, and you hear this kind of thing every year, but they sounded as they sounded energized. Um, at least coming out of spring, I heard several guys say, "Well, our attitude." Uh, there was a real confidence um, among position groups, and they felt like they they answered maybe some inter- you know, some questions they had internally not not necessarily about um like you know rosters and lineups and two deeps and things like that but they, they sounded cuz that the coaches will determine that obviously but they sounded like some of the kids answered questions about um who's going to fill in those gaps of the players that they lost i mean you look at not just the athleticism of a guy like Saquon Barkley and and Marcus Allen and and Grant Haley and Jason Bennett and on and on and on but those guys have been around a long time and had really solidified themselves as the mature top of that team. They were, you know, that was, you know, as much leadership, I think, as Penn State had had since, you know, maybe that 12 team, which yeah. had a lot of seniors on it. Right. So that last year, you know, those two you know, those two teams, 16 and 17, a lot of success and a lot of leadership that came out of it. And it sounded like those kids at least – Internally, maybe answer some of those questions like who's going to fill those voids? Who's going to fill if we don't know who the middle linebacker is going to be yet? At least we know guys who can assume some of the the you know the behind the scenes, the locker room work that Jason Jason Cabinda did, or who's going to be that high that high octane personality that Marcus Allen had? Who's going to be kind of a quieter? But you know. A player you would listen to when they speak is such, you know, like a Grant Haley, and uh, you know, like the personalities, and you know, Allen and Gesicki and, and Brendan Mann and all that sort of thing. I did get a sense that maybe they they feel a little better about that that aspect of it coming out of the spring. Mark Welgenrich from the Allentown mm-hmm. Morning Call continues with us, and uh, the Trace McSorley factor mm-hmm. adds not just the quarterback, because having a returning quarterback is invaluable, yeah. but the leadership aspect of it, Mark. Three years, yeah, obviously three years as a starting quarterback. Trace is not. I don't. I don't get a sense. Excuse me. Trace is going to be a screamer on the sideline. I, I don't get that sense. And and I think James Franklin has said that for two years. His dad told me that too. <laughs> that that he's not going to be just 
he's not the big voice, but man, is he, I think he's a big presence to me that um, he's now done it. He has two years and 22 wins in college worth of success behind him. And he's also the guy, I think in a year that James Franklin is going to say, when your best players are your hardest workers, similar to what he said about Saquon Barkley, Mm -hmm. that that is going to be noticed um, for the most, you know, it's going to be noticed and trickle down through that team. Having two of them too, having him and like, Tommy, I almost get the sense that Tommy Stevens might be a little more of that bigger personality, vocal mm. kind of, of mm. quarterback leader. Having the two of them at, at you know pillaring you know, the top of that offense, I think that really looks that bodes well for at least an offensive leadership perspective for next year and you know and, and nineteen. Mark, one final question. You're right there on the yeah. Pennsylvania-Jersey border. So yesterday, of course, was the ruling by the Supreme Court, which was not unexpected. But, it was, right. you know, in other words, it's a, it, it was a state's rights ruling. Well, part of the state's rights ruling allows them to have gambling, and New Jersey's going to kick it into another gear. Any sense on your part how this is going to play out across the border? Are you going to wait and see like everybody else? No, wait and see, but I think it's going to go quickly here. I mean, I did just read a story today that um, Monmouth Park in New Jersey is looking to have its sports coming up by Memorial Day. Right. That uh, just seems to me that that's a little accelerated. But yeah, I I I would imagine um, we're going to be looking. And I know New Jersey had some uh, had some deals with like a, a British agency. Um, to open maybe some some like OTP kind of locations, I'll bet I would think by football season, by the NFL college football season, we're going to be looking at it. And we have, you know, Eastern Pennsylvania has a number of casinos that I would you know that are going to be just waiting for it, and they're really probably well prepared to set up, uh, a, if not Las Vegas style sports book, at least a sports book uh, access to betting. I think this is going going to go pretty quickly because of the state law that had been passed last year and the preparedness with which the casinos are you know will have. And one thing that in Bethlehem there's a casino that's going to be changing uh, ownership. So that might have uh, maybe some effect. But I think overall I think it's going to go fast. I think we'll be able to bet on NFL and college games by September. Mark, always great seeing you and it's always great talking with you. I appreciate the time very much, my friend. Absolutely, as always. Thanks, Steve. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.